I feel like we need a bit of that song yes, about the brothers. Same. I'm desperate, desperate to sing the song. Go on, Go on Helen. <laughs> no, I don't know all the words. I'm looking them up. <laughs> Reuben was the eldest of the children of Israel with Simeon and Levi the next in line. Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. It's lovely to be with you for our new series, looking at the life of Joseph. And we are especially excited because we have a new member of the team. So um, our friend Juliet is joining us today. She's had a baby in the last year. So it was when we started, she was like, too much going on in my life. But we're so <laughs> glad that she's able to join us now. So welcome Juliet to the craziness of the Scattered podcast. <laughs> Thank you. So as a special new girl on the block treat, I'm going to ask Juliet the first question, which is, could you just give us a little bit of context and explain a little bit to us about the Joseph story, where that comes in the Bible and anything we need to know that's going to help us orientate ourselves? So um, Moses wrote this book and he was speaking to the 12 tribes who just left Egypt after being slaves there. They'd been taught already about creation, about Noah, about Abraham, and now they're being shown how the tribes came about with the generation of Jacob's children and also how they ended up in Egypt in the first place. Great. So we're right at the end of the book of Genesis. And um, something I heard today was saying, actually, you know, Moses gives three chapters to creation and fall. And he gives 13 chapters to the life of Joseph. So it's obviously there's lots of important things in here for us, aren't there? But my hunch is that we often have been taught the Joseph story in a quite moralistic way. And I'm keen that we try and um, rethink that as we look at it together now. So looking at chapter 37, which is the first um, chapter, this is the section where we um, are introduced to Joseph at the age of 17. He's the favorite of his father and he's hated by his brothers and in this chapter we see him being given the coat of many colors Mary's having to restrain herself from bursting into song at this point and we also see the brother's hatred for him grow as he shares dreams that he has about the fact that he's going to be lifted up over them ruling over them and in this chapter too then the brothers and when he goes out to find them for his father he, they capture him, throw him into a pit and are going to kill him, but then decide to sell him to Egyptian traders. So at the end of the chapter, his father is weeping because they go home and lie and tell their dad that he's died and he's in Egypt and being sold um, into the house of Potiphar. So that's a summary of chapter 37 for us. But when we've heard this in the past, ladies, what criticisms do we often hear both of Jacob, the dad, and of Joseph from this, these opening verses of chapter 37. This is a really messy family, isn't it? I was reflecting on the fact that we've got Jacob and his wives. So he's got a few wives and all of their children and they don't get on, do they? There's a lot of strife in this family and Jacob's the, the father over this troubled family. And, and then we've got Joseph. And I think we hear, don't we? Oh, Joseph, he told tales on his brothers. 
he had this beautiful coat and obviously wore it because we see when he goes to see his brothers, he's wearing the coat. So it's not like he was even embarrassed to receive this coat. You've got Jacob, who, who obviously really loves him. Joseph is the son of Rachel, who obviously Jacob really, really loved. Yeah, you kind of, you hear these stereotypes, don't you? Oh, Jacob had a favourite son and he was super, just super kind to him. And then you hear, oh, Joseph went around telling everyone about his dreams. Wasn't he arrogant? But actually, I'm not sure it's that black and white. Yeah, you often hear the argument, don't you, that this is all Jacob's fault, which to some extent you can see, can't you? You know, back in Genesis 33, when Jacob is like crawling on his knees back towards Esau, his brother, that he's uh, had a really difficult relationship with, he intentionally puts Joseph and Rachel at the back of the line of everything he's bringing up to Esau because he wants to protect them beyond anyone else and anything else in his family. Mm. And Jacob has clearly learned nothing from his previous experiences of favoritism you know Isaac loved Esau but Rachel loved Jacob and everything that that brought out you know those are the the criticisms aren't they but then when you take a look at Joseph's brothers they're not exactly stellar like if you look back in uh, chapter 34 at the story of Simeon, Simeon and Levi with the defilement of Dina so Dina's raped uh, by a guy called Shechem, who, who, in a weird way, decides he loves her and wants to marry her. Levi and Simeon say, okay, you can marry her, but only if you're circumcised. So a whole bunch of these guys get circumcised. Dina marries into that family. And then Levi and Simeon go and kill every male. So go back on their word. So you've got liars, murderers as the alternatives. You can understand if we haven't had anything particularly negative leading up to now talking about Joseph, why Jacob might have preferred him above his brothers. Hmm. Did you guys read anything about this, this coat that Jacob gave to Joseph? I read somewhere that it was a sign that Jacob might actually give Joseph the birthright. Did you guys read about that? Yeah, because I think the sort of, was it, who, who should have inherited the birthright? Who was the oldest son? Reuben? Reuben. Mm. Yeah. And Reuben's sexual misdemeanors with one of his dad's concubines, I think was the time that Jacob was like, okay, you, you're not going to inherit. The line's not going to go through you. I'd never realized that the coat of many colors was to do with inheritance in that way until this week mm. when I read it. You would have mm. thought, wouldn't you, that it would go to the next son, which was who... I feel like we need a bit of that song yes, about the brothers. Same. I'm desperate, desperate to sing the song. Go on, go on Helen. <laughs> no, I don't know all the words. I'm looking them up. <laughs> <laughs> Reuben was the eldest of the children of Israel with Simeon and Levi the next in line. Oh, so it's Simeon. Yeah. Should have gone Simeon. And well, then they I guess up. like... Like we just heard from Helen, Simeon and Levi aren't really very worthy characters, are they? That he wants to pass. And I, I guess the thing that it struck me was they're not they're not following the ways of the Lord, are they? Like he's raised these mm-hmm. boys and they're such a painful, um, they're just painful to his heart, aren't they? Because they're not interested in the things of God. And suddenly mm-hmm. Joseph is the loved and favoured son, not because he's beautiful especially, but because he's interested in the things of the Lord Hmm. yeah and I think we need to be careful don't we when we look at this bit um 
in verse two, where it says, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. It's easy for us to sit here and think, oh, Joseph was such a tattletale. But actually mm. what it's doing is showing loyalty to his father. Um, that's how it would have been seen rather than telltale. Yeah. And one of the articles I read talked about Joseph as the loved and chosen son, which I think is the other thing that it's really helpful for us to be looking at, isn't it? All the way through um, Joseph, mm. how actually he is a picture of Jesus, isn't he? All the way through Genesis, all the way through this section, there's so many different ways that Joseph is helping us to see Jesus. Um, and I think once you come to it with that sort of way of thinking, it totally changes, doesn't it? How we view Joseph and his brothers and his dad, and maybe that loved and chosen um, special relationship wasn't just to do with family dysfunction, which of course was there, but was um, a picture of the love of the father for the son. Joseph does seem better than his brothers, but when he has his dreams, like you think he'd know the meaning of his dreams and then he like rushes to tell them. <laughs> I don't know if that's, he was maybe hasty to do that or I think it was just a really messy family situation, isn't it? Like he already, um, Jacob already loves Joseph's mom the best. And then there's like three other wives. Imagine if all four of us are married to the same man. <laughs> you know, it's really messy. And then there's 12 boys and then there's loads of other girls as well. It's like, how would Jacob be able to raise his boys up in the way of the Lord when there's just so much going on? You know, you feel like probably the mums have to do the bulk of that work. Mm. No, I, like, I think that's really helpful, Juliet, to think about the dreams because, yeah, I've always thought of them as just almost Joseph's self-inflated view of himself but mm. how, what do you think what were the dreams revelation from god or were mm. they joseph were they like a dream that we'd have like can we compare joseph's dreams with our dreams or is something different going on here i think the fact that he had two dreams which mirrored each other at the time in like ancient near east having two dreams with the same thing happening is something divine so I think he would have appreciated that and I think Jacob appreciated that as well because he like dwelt on it in his heart and um, even though he had something to say against it but yeah mm. and as far as um, Joseph being a type of Christ I think I think we're not meant to look at him and be like well he was completely perfect you know the Bible doesn't say anything negative about Joseph but I don't think that means we should think he is perfect but I do think we're meant to look at bits of his life bits of what God is doing because there's so many signs of God's sovereignty in this isn't even favor like do you remember when we were doing Esther and we talked about people having favor on Esther and that just comes from God so even you know even that favor that that um, he's shown and someone just happening when he's trying to find his brothers someone just happening to know where they are and even the place mm. where his brothers attack him and put him in a cistern that later is going to be the place where is it Elijah or Elisha sees sees that big spiritual army around him which I think is ironic because I think you know it being that exact place shows that God could have protected Joseph but he didn't because mm. he knew that there was a bigger purpose in this 
But yeah, I think we're meant to see bits of Joseph's life, like him being this son who's sent to check on his brothers to potentially look out for them. Um, And then his brothers Mm. um, not receiving him. Just little things like that. I think we're meant to see through this story, which point towards Jesus. I've been reading Jesus Storybook Bible with my kids. And it was funny the other night, Ruben was like, why does she always at the end of the story say oh this is like Jesus and this is like when Jesus would do this and I'm like well that's that's it the whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus um and that doesn't mean that Joseph was a perfect picture but I think it's meant to help us and the Israelites Hmm. yeah and the the dream section for me I was really challenged that if this is God's word to Joseph these dreams then of course you should be sharing God's word with people shouldn't we and I I think the the place of biggest challenge for me in this chapter was Joseph doesn't care well Joseph cares more about sharing God's word doesn't he than the reaction he gets from his brothers because he knows what's going to happen and how their their response isn't going to be yeah Joseph brilliant we're going to bow down to you but yeah he's faithful Mm. isn't he to share God's word and that has been really challenging to my heart that far too often, as I've said so many times on this podcast, I am more concerned about people's response to God's to me as a messenger of God's word. And so I will water it down or I would avoid sharing hard things with people. Um, hmm. So I, it, it was a really fresh thing for me to see the dreams this way, that if this was God's word, then, and actually, sorry for spoilers, but actually the the brothers then later on when they're in Egypt literally bowing down to Joseph if he hadn't shared this dream with them they would never have seen that as the fulfillment of God's purposes would they so Mm. I guess my the challenge to my heart was Jill be faithful in sharing God's word and care more about that than people's responses Mm. so if we're seeing um their well, it's their response is almost a mocking, isn't it, of him? So, in ver- mm. if can we see in verse eight, the brothers are like, "Really? Are you going to reign over us? Are you really going to be the one that's lifted up above us?" Um, and so their hearts, so there's no way that their hearts rejoice in this dream, is there? And I guess the second mm. half of the chapter then, where they capture Joseph and put him in the well and sell him is in some ways the natural response isn't it of a heart that refuses to submit to the authority of god what do you think about that and what do what what do you see in the brothers responses in the second half how does it help us see sin in our own hearts i think it's hard for his brothers isn't it isn't it because joseph is 17 he's probably a lot younger than them in fact earlier on he's called isn't he the the son of his father's old age or something so i'm guessing the other some of the brothers are a lot older than him and he's come along they there's already already this like ripe bed of hatred uh for joseph and he's already had this dream and i just think we naturally hate authority, don't we? Like this, this to me, I don't know, maybe you guys are all nicer than me, but I naturally rebel against any kind of rule over me or my life or my heart. And you just see that here, don't you? This sentence, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And that's, it's just pride, isn't it? And I just think in my life, that's exactly what I say to God on a daily basis in various ways. Um, and to other people like my husband 
people who are over me in my job like I naturally am very competitive person I don't know if you've noticed um (laughs) but I just I just want to be the best and I want to rule and you just see here don't you this is our natural response to Jesus we don't we don't want him this whole section here where you know in verses two four eight and eleven there's various little issues isn't there you know um Joseph brought a bad report. The brothers saw their father loved him more. Are you going to rule over us? His brothers were jealous of him. Like lots and lots of little things planting seeds of hatred that aren't rooted out at the time lead to a horrific event. And I thought that's just like me, like kind of like what Mary just said, you know, I allow myself to plant these little seeds of anger and hatred on a daily basis and I don't root them out in the way I should do I think I shocked myself as I was reading this seeing how much this little chapter reflected the sin of what Mm. goes on in my own heart yeah I think we've talked before about like little little compromises that we make on a daily basis lead like further and further don't they like and yeah you're right in the end here they're wanting to murder him and then they're willing to lie to their dad and this is a long lie right like this is a many many years lie this is watching their dad absolutely broken and they're prepared to carry on living in that and I'm just like I think it's easy for us to point to them and be like aren't they rubbish but it starts with very small compromises probably that we don't see written here I mean there's not a timeline here we don't know how many years this is happening over but we do know that it probably starts small and it just grows and grows and grows and you're right we need to nip it in the bud mm-hmm. I mean how how can we do that better can I can I add something these boys are all wanting the the affection of the father every single time they see their father grow, grow closer to Joseph and not to them I feel like you know when it's something that we want and it's being taken away from us those feelings come out as well yeah a Mm. loss of something that we really desire but do you not Mm. see I see as well that they're clouded aren't they because because they've let these seeds of hatred grow actually their father has sent Joseph to check on you know because he does love them and because he sent his favorite mm. son out to check they're okay because he loves them and because he's worried 120 for miles yes i i was hoping i'd be able to share All that right. fact but well done All right, hermione <laughs> calm down <laughs> um, isn't it it's often the case that our sin then stops us seeing people's love doesn't it and people's mm. so they they can't see their father's love and care for them because they've mm. allowed this sin to blind them to it and yeah I was really struck by that that it's and that's true for us isn't it we are mm. our vision so often clouded by our sin and we we don't see clearly but yet we think our vision's so sharp and clear don't we mm. Mm. this little episode reminded me a little bit about the parable of the bad tenants you know how the landowner sort of sends people sends people and then finally sends his son and they still reject him I felt there were mirrors of that in this episode where these people were so depraved like they were the one in the parable of the bad tenants they were the ones who had committed the sin and yet they allowed sin to over and over and over again over a long time kept beating up and killing all these servants for me it just hinted a little bit at that you know and again pointing us to Jesus Joseph being sent to the brothers 
and yet being totally rejected. I guess mm. Mary's question is good, isn't it? How, how then do we guard our hearts from allowing sin to, uh, from, from our guesses, making friends with sin? Like, how do we do that better? How do we help each other do that? I think community helps a lot. Yeah, it helps having other people being able to point things out to you early so that you can identify problems that are there. <laughs> How often do we do that though? I'm, I'm terrible at that. I was thinking about this because I think we've talked about a similar thing before and I'm like, how often do I say to my best friends, um, I don't think it was okay when you did that. I, I guess it's easy when it's your children, someone who you think's kind of below you in, in certain ways, but when it's, when it's your equals, it's super hard, isn't it? To turn around and be like, not sure this was, this was okay which is a pride thing in itself, right? <laughs> and, and I guess that goes back to, doesn't it, what I was saying earlier, that how they're going to respond is our primary concern rather than what's the, the best thing spiritually, I guess, for, for them and for us in being those mm. that speak the truth kindly and lovingly. Also, like, how fast are we to ask other people about problems in our own hearts? I guess it's one thing to talk about other people but I guess it's easier to say to your friend have you noticed something in my life that I'm doing you know I'm straying from um where God wants me what God wants me to do or um yeah how quick are we to ask those questions of our friends yeah you're also, right Julia because that was that's what sets the culture then isn't it if we're constantly saying to others um can you see anything in my life? Is there anything that you see that's not honouring to the Lord? Mm. Then it creates an openness to those sort of conversations, doesn't it? Mm. It's one of the reasons I love the rhythm of the liturgy at St. Clement's um, and, and all the gazillions of other churches that use it, uh, where at the beginning of the service, you're, there's a call to confession and repentance. And I kind of feel sometimes I'm rubbish and I go through the week and I have quiet times and I I'm praying, but I get to Sunday and I'm like, wow, I haven't really seriously taken a good look at my heart this week. And I love that we have that rhythm of, in the liturgy, we have that rhythm of repentance and confession. And that's a chance, isn't it, to look at our hearts and be like, and ask God to show us, like, it's really the spirit, isn't it, that puts his finger on stuff, ultimately. And I think, you know, there's this hardening, I think, in the life of Joseph's brothers, um, and I think we need to ask God to soften our hearts because we can easily harden our hearts to this stuff and just be blind to it. I guess the other thing is, you know, when we're in God's word, the temptation is, isn't it? As we're reading stories um, about people, it's easy to think, oh, they're so ridiculous. Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? You know, when you read about, for example, the first disciples, when they're not quite getting who Jesus is, it's tempting when you read how over and over again they didn't get it to get really frustrated with them. And I think it's really important as we're reading God's word, God's word as we see what God is saying about us, one, that we look at how is this passage pointing to Jesus, but also how is this passage pointing a finger at me? Like, where am I in this passage? Because I am telling you now, it will not be the person who's doing the good thing. And I think sometimes when we're looking to self-justify or when we're reading our Bibles, it's easier and gentle, we're easier and gentler on ourselves by saying, for example, that we're the Boaz figure as we're looking in previous books, we're the Boaz figure rather than 
we're the person with absolutely nothing coming crawling on our knees in the middle of the night begging for help yeah i i i read that later on in genesis 42 the brothers are discussing this incident you know with down the further down the line and they talk about how in the pit joseph was pleading with them to let him out and they just ignore his pleading they had dinner right yeah they're eating a meal he's in the pit and he's begging them to be kind to him and let him out and they just stop their ears and when i was reading that i was just like that's god's word to us isn't it god is pleading with us day by day to turn to him to turn away from the things that we think are going to satisfy us and so often i put my fingers in my ears and think well i'm going to carry on with because i trust myself and i trust my ways naturally Mm. so much more than god's and that was a really helpful reminder to me of we are the brothers aren't we like you were saying helen so often we put our fingers in our ears and don't want to hear god's pleading and get on with our meal basically Anything else that people have been struck by, especially, or where's the heart challenge been for anybody else today? We've had quite a few. I was just reflecting on the fact that people often, uh, including me, we sin because we want an easier or better or happier life, right? Because we think it's the best way. But it's just so clear here, isn't it, that the sin of getting rid of Joseph, so removing this difficulty the brothers removing this difficulty in their life who is causing them to feel hatred and jealousy getting rid of him doesn't actually solve anything doesn't it because it the whole story is just the family is broken at the end of this chapter you've got Mm -hmm. um Jacob who says I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave so his father wept for him so you've got this broken father um these brothers have to live with this guilt for the rest of you know the story until we hear what happens to Joseph next so they are living with this guilt over many years and we can see can't we towards the end of the story uh, of Joseph that they I think there's regret there and there's um, even though they never actually tell their father maybe that kind of shame was more uh, powerful than the regret Um, but you just feel don't you that when you do when you sin it doesn't solve anything and it often gets you into more pickles than you started in. And actually it's easier. You know, when you lie, you end up having to lie more or when you um, hurt somebody, it's actually really hard to say sorry. So you might as well have not hurt them in the first place and things like that. Like you see, don't you just the obvious Hmm. fact that sin doesn't solve anything. And yet we do it again and and again and again, but I just think it's really clear here. It just breaks everything. And we so much need a savior <laughs> hmm. also with Reuben who was thinking oh I'll take him out of the pit and bring him back to the father you know how he was still wanting to on the surface like appease his brothers but like he was not willing to do it openly and rescue hmm. him being the eldest son he should have um, even though his right was taken away he was also in a position where he could have saved Joseph. And I guess the, the effects of what peer pressure does to us when people around us are thinking one thing. And yeah, it's very easy to go along with the, the flow rather than take a stand. Mm. I really liked what Juliet said earlier about basically 
the human elements of this story are, are, are not perfect, but God is the one who is perfect and he is. And I, I think, you know, when you zoom out from this story and you see that God's sovereignty is working in so many lit, little ways to, if we look far in the future, to redeem his people from slavery. Like, I, I love that kind of idea of these are human people who we see their struggles, but we're, we're not meant to look at them and, be, and necessarily and be like, I need to be like that. I need to do this. I need to do that. I think we're meant to see God's sovereignty and his goodness in redeeming his people, including people like this. I love that about this whole story, really. But I think you see the beginning of it here. Yeah, I agree. I think this story of Joseph's life is really a story about a chosen person in Abraham's descendants that is being used to illustrate God's work of redemption in history and point us to Jesus. That's what this story is about. There are elements of morality about it, definitely. Like we are obviously, like you said earlier, we are the brothers. But I think we need to become not too us-centric um, and ensure that just like Mary just said then that we we zoom out and we look at okay what is actually going on here and it is the story of redemption yeah it like I guess that a good summary might be the one that they despise is the one that they actually need to save them and that's such mm-hmm. a that's our relationship with Jesus isn't it at times we really wrestle with his authority over our lives and yet we need him for salvation and he's the answer to, and he's the one in whom our hope depends. And mm. you see this in this story so beautifully, don't you? Mm. So really looking forward to studying it with you ladies over the next few weeks and um, hopefully see you all next week. <laughs>